Today's scripture reading are selected verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. You find them in the Old Testament from pages 616 to 621. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all turn to dust again. As they came from their mother's womb, so they shall go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing for their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from toiling for the wind? All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity, since the same fate comes to all. So the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that are given you and under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, to which you are going. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. This is the word Last week, when I sat down at my desk with the 15th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which we are going to turn to in a moment, I realized that I couldn't read just three verses, which is what I had planned to do today. Uh, And frankly, I wish I could read the entire chapter. Uh, This chapter, as some of you know, is Paul's reflection on the last days, what we would call the end of history when uh, God brings to completion uh, what was started in the death and resurrection of uh, the Son, Jesus Christ. This chapter is remarkable. It is stunning. Uh, Words are inadequate uh, to describe what Paul has done here. And so I ask you to listen or follow along, if you would like, beginning with verse 20. Uh, Beginning with verse 20. But in fact... Paul writes, Christ has been raised from the dead, 
the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Then skipping down to verse 50. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, today, at long last, we have come to the end of a series of sermons on what we believe, what Christians all around the, the world uh, hold in common. We started in early January, and, and now we are into April already, if you can believe it. Easter uh, is nearly here, so uh, that was a long stretch. Uh, although some preachers, I, I know, have taken uh, two years or more uh, to preach their way through a single book of the Bible, like Romans or Luke's Gospel. And you've probably heard the old joke, uh, all three people who were left at the end of the series agreed that it was a wonderful uh, series. Uh, in any case, we end today where the creed ends uh, with a look at Christian hope, or more specifically, uh, what Christians have to look forward to, what we believe about the future. Uh, I'm tempted to do something this morning that I've never done before, but I've always wanted to do, and I I'm not sure why this always seems so exciting to me, but I'm tempted to take a poll right now. And uh, what I want to know is how many of you are optimistic or hopeful about the future and how many of you are uh, pessimistic, kind of gloomy uh, about the future. And I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to raise your hands. But I am very curious. Right? And, and you will understand why in a moment. Uh, because uh, what we believe about the future gets to the very heart 
of our faith. Uh, everything I've said until now in, in this series about creation and then the presence of evil uh, in, in the world and, and then God's plan to restore creation to the way it was meant to be, uh, none of that makes any difference. I mean, none of that matters if it doesn't change anything. If it doesn't change our perspective about life. In other words, you can believe whatever Christian tradition you want. Baptist, Pentecostal, Reformed. But if the doctrines you hold don't change your outlook on the world, then they aren't doing you much good. If they aren't sustaining you in the tough times of your life, maybe it's time to shop around. Uh, if you were to say to me, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't give me much comfort, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know what to say to you. Right? What, what you believe and, and what you hold dear and, and what you cannot live without should give you great comfort. Now, if I uh, did my little poll... And uh, if I ask you to, to raise your hands today, uh, my dream, this is every pastor's dream or fantasy, I, I think, is that uh, without the slightest hesitation, you would raise a hand and say, I have never been more optimistic, more confident about the future than I am right now. And if you can't say that, I hope you listen closely to what I'm about to say to you this morning. Uh, studies show that people, especially in the West, uh, are kind of gloomy. In, in fact, not just kind of gloomy, but very gloomy and, and, and overwhelmingly gloomy. Uh, they are not optimistic at all about the future. They are depressed about it. They are anxious. Uh, they are fearful. They are ready, some of them uh, at least, to dig a shelter and stock up on canned goods and ammunition. And if you asked a random uh, sampling of, of people in, in Zurich today, if you went down to Berkeley Platz, uh, the, the people you interviewed, and I'm, I'm reasonably certain about this because I've read the studies, that the people you interviewed would tell you that life is getting worse instead of better. And, and to be honest with you, I find that so curious because so much of the evidence Many of the facts uh, tell a, a different story altogether. Uh, poverty rates around the world, just to give one example, uh, are in decline. In the last 30 years, the, the number of people living in absolute poverty, as defined as uh, 1 franc 25 uh, per day, has declined from 53% to less than 17%. Uh, that's astonishing. We need to do better, but it is astonishing. Child labor, the number of children who not only are expected to work, but who work in hazardous conditions, child labor has declined around the world during that same period by more than 50%. Infant mortality rates have declined by more than 50% in the last 25 years. We, we, we hardly even consider today that a child will not survive the first few years of life. It doesn't even occur to us. Violent crime and, and homicide rates have declined in both the U.S. And, and, and European countries. I mean, some cities like Chicago, as I think you know, have experienced a disturbing uptick due to gun and, and uh, gang violence. But, but overall, these rates have been in decline for decades. In, in the last 200 years, the, the, the years of education 
that people have received have increased from uh, 2 to 21, and we're talking about the U.S. and, and uh, the U.K., Japan, France, India, even China, a tenfold increase. Right? I, I have more. I, I, I wish we had time to talk about the number of, of, of cases of, of guinea worm worldwide, how that has dropped to almost uh, zero. Uh, but I'll finish with one more, global uh, literacy rates. We are now closing in on 100%. You know, a testimony to the near universal uh, access to education around the world, as well as a testimony to the amount of time that people have to pursue education in their lives. And as you may have noticed, I've said nothing at all about uh, staggering advances in technology, medicine, communication, transportation, uh, we're living in a world today, we're, we are living in a world today that would have been unimaginable just 100 to 150 years ago. And yet, I mean, to me this is uh, astonishing when I think about it, the prevailing mood in the world today, particularly in the West, is dark and gloomy and not at all optimistic. So tell me, I mean, how do you account for that? Well, it's easy. I mean, I have uh, eyes and ears, I read the news, and uh, I think I know how people have come to that conclusion, and so do you. Two world wars, a worldwide depression, not one, but several genocides around the world. Unrest and civil war recently all across the Arab world. Global terrorism, a refugee crisis. I read last week that five million Syrians, I mean, a quarter of the, the pre-war population, five million, have fled the country with many more displaced within the country. It is gloomy. Right? And it is disheartening. And, and if you think about it too much, if, if you watch too much news, I find that I don't sleep very well and I, my insides churn. But here's the thing. Even with all of that, I, I'm glad to be able to say this to you. Even with all of that, I am not afraid. I am not fearful. I am not pessimistic about the future. I refuse to give up hope. And, and, and am I gloomy about tomorrow? Or next month or next year? The answer is no. And, and, and here's the reason which leads to the heart of my message for today. My belief about the future has nothing whatsoever to do with studies or trend lines or murder rates or even what I see on the news every day. I see those things like you do, but my hope, and, and this is the key, my hope is not based on any of those things. Right? If you were to do some reading in this area of theology, what Christians believe about the future, eschatology, you would find that, that Christians today usually fall into one of two categories. Uh, there are the optimists, not many anymore, and the pessimists. Uh, and at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, this is hard to believe, uh, but there were a lot of optimistic Christians in the world. Uh, as the 19th century came to an end, many Christians thought that we were moving into something that they called the Christian century. The missionary movement, which began in, in, in the 19th century, was so successful that, that for the first time it, it, it seemed as though the Christian church would be established everywhere around the globe. 
No wonder they were excited. I would have been excited too. Right? And, 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 and there were reasons to be excited and optimistic. Uh, hunger was uh, about to be eliminated, or, or so they thought. Major diseases too. Everyone, just about everyone, uh, thought that we were on the cusp of something wonderful. And, and for those of you who know something about uh, end times theology, uh, there were those who said, I mean, they, they were straight-faced when they said it, that there were those who said that the thousand-year reign of Christ had begun. Why think about that? Right? And, and then, well, the, the 20th century did not go so well. And, and, and today, as I have mentioned, the number of optimistic Christians in the world is actually uh, quite small. The church is growing, of course, in the global south, in, in places like Africa and South America and Ch China. And it's very exciting, thanks be to God for that. Uh, but at the same time, the church has declined in the west, first in, in Europe following uh, World War II, and now uh, clearly in the U.S. as well. Look, I, I, I'm sure you know this. Much of the New Testament was written at a time of global unrest, uh, we aren't the only people in history to have experienced tough times. Uh, the world knew at, at that, uh, uh, the world they knew at that time was relatively small. Nevertheless, the world they knew was a frightening place. Uh, Christians would uh, uh, eventually face more persecution, uh, but there was enough of it already in the time of Paul and the other apostles, as the book of Revelation makes clear. Persecution had begun, and, and Christians had a precarious place in the Roman world. Uh, Paul himself, as you know, was beaten and flogged and stoned and imprisoned and eventually lost his life in service to the cause of Christ. But, if you had asked Paul my question, you know, whether he was optimistic or, or pessimistic about the future, I think he would not have understood he would have said, have you not heard a single word I have been saying to you? We aren't sure what the question was anymore, what exactly the people of Corinth asked Paul. But there's a wonderful response to their question in chapter 15, much of which I read for you today. And so someone, it seems clear, was asking about the future. What is going to happen to us? And, and, and is there a reason to feel hopeful about the future? And so Paul, with that question, or one very much like it in mind, writes beautifully about the end. And, and I have used these words over the years, uh, most often at uh, memorial services. And I don't know if you can appreciate this, but it, it almost seems odd to me today uh, to read these uh, words without a, a death to think about. Uh, Paul's words to the, the people in Corinth, Paul's words to us are, are so clear. There is nothing to fear. God has all of history in his hands. God has a plan, and, and, and that plan is unfolding, and we don't see all of the details from our limited perspective, but, but there is a plan. But one of the temptations for Christians, especially in the last generation or so, has been to get very specific about all of these, uh, the, these details about the end times. Uh, preachers, often television preachers, have attracted vast audiences by creating timelines and graphs and charts and uh, all showing the exact sequence of events. And, and they even seem to have an explanation for the trumpet sound that Paul mentions. 
And as you know, uh, books, novels uh, have been written, movies have been made, and I, mean, I, I find it interesting. But what Paul writes here is, is that I tell you a mystery. This is ultimately unknowable. I mean, even Jesus uh, says to his disciples about that day or th that hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, uh, only the Father. And that, of course, has never stopped anyone. <laughs> that, that has never stopped anyone from, uh, from asking for more details and, and more specifics because that's what human beings seem to crave. But Paul seems to say, don't worry about any of that. My beloved, this is how he, he concludes, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, Billy Graham, the, the great 20th century evangelist, now 98 years old and, and he makes, seldom makes public appearances anymore, Billy Graham was once asked about the end times, and I, I, I like the answer that he gave so much, I'm going to start using it myself. Uh, he said, I've read the last page of the Bible. I know how this turns out. <laughs> you know, we aren't the first people in history ever to be concerned about the future. And, and more than likely, we won't be the last. Way back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were in exile and, and they wondered what would become of them. They had these promises from God, but they didn't see them being fulfilled. So they wondered what God had in mind for them and why the future looked so bleak. And so Jeremiah wrote to them. This is in chapter 29, verse 11. And, and, and really, this should be etched on the heart of every person here. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, let me end this sermon and, and let me end this entire series of sermons with a personal word. There isn't a person here today in this, in this sanctuary who has not gone through a difficult time. A dark night of the soul, a, a time when all seemed lost, and I include myself in that. We tend to look around, this is human nature, I guess, we tend to look around on Sunday morning and, and, and we see other people and we think, well, they've never experienced difficult times. We see other people and, and we make assumptions about them, that they've never known pain or disappointment or broken dreams, all those things that we have experienced. And nearly 40 years of pastoral ministry have convinced me that it's just not true. Right? Every person here, every single person, no matter how financially secure we may appear to be, no matter how happily employed we seem to be, no matter how good and, and, and loving our marriages seem to be, no matter how smart and successful and good-looking our children seem to be, no matter how much we smile on, on Sunday mornings, every person here has known personal pain and trauma and disappointment. One reason we are here is because that's true. Right? One reason we are here is that we became aware at some point in our lives that we couldn't get through life alone 
uh, trusting only in our own great ideas. Uh, no one can generate enough optimism to get through life today. Right? I I'm glad, to, to be honest, that global uh, poverty rates are, are coming down, but that doesn't ease the pain I feel about disappointments in my own life, the broken dreams that I have experienced. So uh, here, here we are, a, a collection of broken people. We are here because we are looking for a hope and we are looking for a future. We, we have in some cases, uh, we are here in some cases because we have run out of other options and, and many of us have tried many other options before finding ourselves here. And so everything that Sam and I have said over the last 12 or, or, or 13 weeks comes down to this. We are broken people who nevertheless live with hope. And it's not cheerfulness and it's not optimism. It's a belief that the God who made the world and loved it and cared for it will not let it go. It's a belief that God in Jesus Christ has defeated everything that can hurt or injure us. Right? And, and, and as for the last enemy, death, that too will be destroyed. Look, I, I, I don't care whether you are an optimistic person by nature, although uh, you'll probably have more friends than the, the pessimistic person. I don't care whether you're optimistic by nature or not. It, 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 what matters more than any of that Right, is your core conviction that God has won a decisive victory on Easter morning and that because of that, our future is secure. We know the one to whom we belong. We will be okay. And it's because God will see to that. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful message of hope that Paul has passed down to us, first to those skeptical Corinthians and, and finally to skeptical people in Zurich. Help us to embrace this message of hope. Help us to believe it. Help us to take it to heart and make it a core conviction of our lives. And in every area of our lives, help us to depend solely we pray this in Christ's name.